This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Two nineteen BCE. The Chinese ship bobbed up and down in the soft rolling waves of the sea as alchemist Zhu Fu gazed out at the horizon. He had been selected because of his skills to find an elixir that he had now been looking for for some time. His fleet had been sailing for months in search of a place thought to be the sole location of great unknown herbs and fruits, and knowledge of the immortals. Zhu's emperor was obsessed with immortality, and he believed that there was a great island, coveted in Chinese legend, that was home to gods that subsisted like that of mortal men. That they, like him, needed to consume food to maintain their power and strength. But what were they subsisting on? What was their secret? Zhu would sail for many months in search of this mystical place where eight immortals were said to dwell. However, whether his ships found this place or not will never be known, as neither Zhu nor any other survivors of this journey would again return to China, lost for all eternity in search of eternal life. The search for an elixir of life is common across mythologies around the world and throughout history, with many stories claiming the type of extreme longevity found only amongst those between gods and men. However, some stories are more compelling than others. Allegedly born in 1677, the infamous Li Qingyun was one such extraordinary man, whose life quite possibly extended for over 250 years. His extreme longevity may be attributed to many simple things that quite possibly have roots in the legends of immortality found throughout the ancient East, and with links to the quests of numerous emperors of ancient China. Join us on Into the Portal for a different kind of mystery, as we discuss myths of eternal life, Eastern mythology, and of course, delve into the life and practices of the legendary Yi Ching Yun, otherwise known as the Good Luck Man. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, it's a brand new week, brand new story. Yeah, a little different kind of uh, direction a little bit this week. Well, you know, it's all weird, so it's not really. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I say that all the time, but I guess it's just, it is all strange, bizarre (laughs) stories, so. Well, we are your gateway to the bizarre, so. We are indeed. And we never say that. But we definitely are. Yeah, we've got to start using our own catchphrase. I know, right? (laughs) Before we get into things, though, we do have a bit of minor housekeeping. Some exciting new stuff. Yeah. Well, we've had uh, a couple new patrons join the crew. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. Pretty stoked on that. Yeah, we've got Mike A and Mike Mike B. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I had to do that just because. Yeah, it was funny how you typed it in there like that. But uh, they literally, yeah, last names A and B. So, but I'm just gonna say, it. Mike Anderson. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, Mike, was it Mike Boyd? Mike Boyd. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, you guys. Um, yeah, happy to have you in that Patreon community. Definitely. Go check it out. The link's on our website. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we've got a brand new, well, we finally uploaded the <laughs> September bonus episode. We were kind of behind, but. We were a little bit behind, but we are back on track. We are indeed. Yeah, and we've actually got a really cool one planned for October. Obviously, it's going to be Halloween themed, so look forward to that, guy. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else has noticed on our Facebook, we announced we've got some new stickers and buttons on the way. Pretty stoked on that. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone that got that um, reference for that Fran Drescher thing, they're going to (laughs) get a little goodie from the new stash, which is going to come probably this week Mm -hmm. in the mail if it's on time. So yeah, look forward to that in the next little bit. Definitely. And yeah, okay. Our other special announcement, Andrew, you want to? Sure. Yeah. So we had this fun idea. We just thought this would be really sweet to do because we are obviously obsessed with October. It's our favorite month of the year. And Mm -hmm. we're assuming for a lot of you listeners out there, it is as well. And so we decided we really wanted to do an Into the Portal Halloween pumpkin carving contest. Yeah. yeah. Just because every year we get super into pumpkin carving. We buy like pumpkins throughout the month and just like carve them. They go bad. They go rotten. And then we, and then we carve more closer to Halloween. But. (laughs) But, um, yeah, we really want to see what kind of skills you guys got. So we actually, yeah, we're going to have, uh, we're going to be accepting submissions, um, right at the the beginning of October, Mm -hmm. but we'll be running that all the way up to the 31st. So be sure to, um, post on, so like get at us on social media essentially, right? Yeah. So Um, the idea is you got to post, um, a picture of your pumpkin and it has to be something paranormal themed, um, bonus points. If it says into the portal on it, or if it's any of the themes, the topics that we've covered yeah, thus like far. Yeah, like any of the monsters or anything like that. Exactly. And then we'll actually be announcing a special hashtag that you have to use as well in order yeah. to be entered in the contest. And we will announce it at the end of each episode starting September 28th onward. Yes. So it'll be the same password every week. Or yeah. password. <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. Yeah, password, definitely. Whatever. And like, we'll bring this up again, but we just wanted to like drop that early and at the beginning so you guys towards the end just, of September. You can start thinking about it, yeah, mulling exactly. around, get your designs prepped up. Yeah. You want to see it. Totally. Mm-hmm. No, that's going to be really fun. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, before we get started here, there was one other thing, or well, a couple other things, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so, so much to the Pine Barrens Institute and Haley's Comet for your five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much. You guys rock. You're the best. And thank you to everyone else who's left us reviews as well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the time, you don't want to actually type up a review, you can just click the stars. Like Apple Podcasts, iTunes takes one second to do. We really appreciate it. I will warn you, show. though, people, I have in the past, <laughs> I've gone to do that. And I accidentally, I feel so terrible. I've accidentally hit it. Like it, it is weird. It's kind of glitchy sometimes and it won't actually fill up the five stars. It'll go to like two or three and then it'll be like submitted. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh yeah like we have, I think I've mentioned this on, on an earlier episode, but my dad gave us like a one star review on the, <laughs> on Canadian, the Canadian iTunes <laughs> because he, he was using like his older phone and oh man, anyway. So yeah, I'm, I've been guilty of it and I don't like, don't feel bad. Don't let that discourage you. Yeah. (laughs) If anything, just pile on the five stars if you accidentally do that too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, one last thing we just wanted to acknowledge that we totally forgot last week. We, okay. We, everyone would have noticed this. We uploaded for the very first time ever, Mm -hmm. the unedited raw uncut uh, into the portal yeah. audio file for the la- for um, the beast episode, so we yeah. <laughs> we didn't have promos for our friends over at Cryptonaut Pod and Secret Transmission Podcast. So, um, but we will have the links. Uh, we have the links already from last week's episode, but we'll make sure that those are available. So, shout out to those guys, those two shows. 
Um, really, really great shows. So go check them out. Um, again, Secret Transmission and uh, Cryptonaut podcast. Yeah. So I'm sorry, guys. That yeah. was that was my bad. <laughs> I am the editor of this podcast. It so. gets crazy busy this time of year. Amber and I work uh, in the wine industry, and it's There's harvest. So no it's excuse ins- for that. No, but it's busy. We were just. It's yeah. been a busy week. It's Anyways. been crazy. Well, so are we sh- shall we shall we get right into it? Let's do it. All right. Mm-hmm. So this week we are unveiling the secrets to eternal life. No, just kidding. But, but we are getting into it a little bit. We are talking about the story of Li Qing Yu, mm-hmm. and this is actually brought to us by a listener. Uh, this is Matthew. So yeah. thank you, Matthew. Yes. We appreciate that. Yeah, this very is a much. Very cool story, and yeah, we're just gonna dive right into it. Okay. So essentially, this was a man. Who, he was a Chinese man. His name is Li. He was born in the sort of a central landlocked province of Sichuan during mm-hmm. the Qing Empire, spelled Q-I-N-G. Okay. And, yeah, it's kind of debated. He had a very long life. That's an By some accounts, yeah. almost 200 years. By other accounts, over 250 years. Right. So, very interesting man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like we said, like he is dur- born during this Qing Empire, which is actually one of the largest empires in world history. Right. Fourth largest overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ruled China proper from 1644 to 1912 when they had their uh, reformation and they ended up becoming the Republic of China. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty good run. It it's is. a long time. Yeah, it was preceded by the Ming Dynasty. Right. So that was the Great Age of Exploration and things like that. Um, This era in Chinese history was characterized more by a turning in and a closing off of China and very interesting time period. So Li obviously experienced all of it pretty much, Mm. like if you believe (laughs) the stories. Yeah. But as a young child, um, Li was a bright learner. He was very gifted. He could read and write by the age of 10, which in today's society isn't that impressive. But back in the day, that's really impressive, especially because he was in a rural area. Like he wasn't in, he wasn't royalty. He wasn't anyone special. He was just a Chinese man that was born into, he was was born into like a family. Well, exactly. Yeah. And he was born to um, a family of herbalists. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had several elders that kind of propelled him along his way. So at an early age, he was being groomed and, um, yeah prepared for his career which he began at the age of 10 according to some sources others say about 13 but yeah so he began um, to collect herbs in the snow mountain ranges in his home province of Sichuan if I'm saying that right it's okay there's gonna be a million mispronounced (laughs) things in this episode so I'm good (laughs) but anyway so while he began this career he learned about these herbs and their potency for longevity. Interesting. Yes. And he ended up having, by the end of his life, he had like almost like, he kind of reminds me of a Chinese Jesus because he had like disciples. He had People his own, following him. Yeah, really? exactly. He had his own little following and they, apparently too, this is according to, um, I don't even know how reputable the source was, but apparently one of his disciples said that Lee had actually met a man who lived to be 500 years old. And so he kind of learned his secrets. Interesting. Which did revolve around these herbs. So for almost 40 years, well, almost 40 years, which is, that seems bizarre. That was according to one source, which again, there's lots of discrepancies in the information. There is, yeah. Gets a little hairy. But some people say it was 40 years. I would say it was probably his entire life. 
that he was consuming these things. But anyways, he survived on a very minimalist diet. Very much so. So things like Lindsay goji berries, which people are probably familiar with because it's a superfood that's highly marketable today. Yeah. And all sorts of things with ginseng uh, and rice wine was another big one. We're going to go through all these individually just for their purported health benefits and things like that. Um, But yeah, no, Lee, he was very interesting, much loved. He, He married a bunch of times. Like according to one source, it was like, two dozen times and he had over like 180 living relatives today but he had like it was just like his family tree was amazing like apparently he fathered alone like maybe over 200 kids 200 kids yeah pretty insane dang yeah dang but it's funny because lee didn't have like he didn't really he didn't claim to have anything extraordinary as far as a secret all he said, this was his famous phrase, when asked to like reveal his secrets of longevity, his reply was, keep a quiet heart, sit like a tortoise, walk sprightly like a pigeon, and sleep like a dog. <laughs> That's an so interesting simple. philosophy. Very yeah. simple. It reminds me of like yoga or something. Totally. You know? like, yeah. Very, very. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the simplicity is definitely something that would maybe throw people off because mm-hmm. we're talking about... For the for the entire episode in its entirety, like elixirs of life, and obviously this mm-hmm. guy didn't have the the ego that goes along with like a mm. search for something like that, so to speak. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, he had a he had a modest upbringing. One of the accounts I saw of his, because um, you did a good job going through that there. One of the accounts I came across was that he was from a family that was maybe slightly beyond like just working class, but his father passed away when he was really young. Mm. And that's why around that age of 10 is when he learns to read and write and gets collecting these herbs and stuff because he kind of had to like take it upon himself to make a living and, and to be the man of what his family, I guess. Hmm. So makes sense. Resourceful guy. There you go. Indeed. So, I mean, yeah, like he had a lengthy life as a herb, an herbalist, herbalist, like you herbalist, just said. And um, there's some, like you said, too, like there's a lot of the records are scant. It's kind of uh, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it was kind of a closing off period of China. And not only that, like it's just kind of a long time ago. So a lot yeah. of things are difficult to kind of uh, to really. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's too bad, right? Like it's not it the is. same as just being able to go on like ancestry.com and no, pull up some uh, some documents, not. you know. And it's funny cuz like you guys listening might have noticed we haven't mentioned the date he was born. We'll get into that in a minute. We will. Though. We will. Um some even say that he did more than just kind of meditate and eat leaves, though, that he was actually a military <laughs> tactical advisor and martial artist teacher for the provincial Chinese army. Yeah. Um, well, he was super into the um, martial arts. Yeah, like as a form of meditation, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, obviously, they are meant to be used to, for there combat. There was one other thing I saw referenced where he was um, like a tactical sort of advisor as well for right. topography. So oh. he knew he knew the area, he knew the mountains, he you know that type of thing, right, the natural okay. sort of. So like the one record was says that he joined the army at the age of fifty one, which already seems like kind of an older age to be. Joining I know, the right? Military. But if you're joining as an advisor, though, that's yeah, kind of a like, more senior position. Makes like a little more sense. Yeah. And then other records show that he joined at the age of seventy one. Hmm. Um, now these are sort of like I'm air quoting for all you people out there listening. Like <laughs> the 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 records yeah, are the records. Um, either people think they've been forged or they're basically they're they can't be found or like being very, exaggerated. Right. So there were a couple books written about this guy, and you know, like 
Yeah. The information, yeah. It's, but it's just, it's it's kind of debated whether he joined the military at all or whether or not he was at that age. I mean, if you're joining at 71 and then exiting at 78, which is what the one uh, report basically says, after fighting in the battle at, uh, at the Golden River. Mm-hmm. So this is according to General Yang Sen, who basically, he was one of the earlier, or I guess not earlier because he would have been quite old at this time, but a disciple of Lee. So he mm-hmm. actually invited Lee to visit his residence. This was later in the 1920s. So this, at this point, he would have been beyond his military career and into his meditation and his practices of life. Well, the, the story, the narrative I kind of came across was that he basically was raised to be an herbalist. That was his profession. He definitely had more talents, though. And so that's how he ended up joining the military. He joined the military for over 20 years, uh, according to most accounts that I saw. And then after that was when he retired back to being an herbalist and went back to Sichuan. To, back to the mountains. Back to the snow mountains. To, yeah. And he, yeah, he just continued on his way, just collecting herbs and right. and just uh, meditating a lot. So, but it's just so crazy to think that collecting herbs, mixing them up in your little, whatever way you have, you have. It's, it was in like tinctures and stuff. Yeah. Because he did enjoy his rice There's, there's an, there's an alchemy aspect to this, right? Like that, you know what I mean? It reminds me of Gay Hong, who will actually come up in a little bit here. Exactly. But he obviously had tapped into some sort of uh, knowledge of some kind, right? Yes, or some sort of awareness, some awareness. sort of spirituality, something that comes from the inside is kind of the impression I got. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much um, a spiritual wholeness that resides within the individual. It's not something to seek out. It's something to sort of uncover within. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why Western society and our desperate attempts to find the keys to immortality, which you see every time you yeah. see Revitive Triple Laser Cream commercials on TV, Ooh, um, yeah. will never be attained because it's it always is coveting all, something. It's topical. It's all literally topical, like in the form of a cream, but literally just um, band aid solutions. It's not. It's not getting to the root the... of the philosophy like you're talking about. Well, exactly, and even just. Um, a, lo- a large part of our society comes from it is is driven by um, instinctual or not instinctual, <laughs> just this instilled desires of things that we don't have, the need to covet things yeah. that we don't actually need, <laughs> you know. Right. And then, in a sense, we're always unfulfilled. Right. And that, a large part of that has to do with our sort of modern capitalist economic setup and the way in which that's sort of been bred into us as people. Like, yeah. obviously, Lee's growing up in an entirely different time. Totally. And I feel like that is a factor in this whole oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Like, even the idea of living, you know, say, to, to 200 years or, or a, a thousand years or whatever, if you think about that from, like, yeah, like a Western perspective, it's almost like to to beat the odds. Like, to mm-hmm. be like, I, it's, a, it's, it's you against something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, I don't want to die at age 80. I want to live longer for me mm-hmm. so I can experience more, 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 more stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's not so much just like, yeah, I'll, I might live to 250 because I'm existing mm-hmm. a certain way. It's, it's not a means yeah. to an end. No. You know what I mean? It's just a way of being. Well, and the thing is, too, with our society 
conventional society as a whole, we live in perpetual fear of death, too. We don't really see, like, sure, some people do are practicing religious people and they do believe in an afterlife per se, but a lot of people don't. A lot of us are secular and we don't think there's anything past this material world. With Lee, I feel like he had a um, more of like what we said, like a spiritual wholeness that kind of meant that eternity doesn't mean eternity in this flesh body. You know right. what I mean? It's something different. Right tapped into some sort of other energy of some kind exactly yeah. yeah the life force the chi the chi the um the prana the prana yeah we'll touch on that in a sec exactly you, y'all might remind that re- remember, <laughs> remember that from, that from yeah. the tesla episode exactly yeah a tesla's gonna come up <laughs> so i think it's about time that we went over just how old lee was Holy. Okay. Well, there are, like we've said, there are some discrepancies. Uh, some point to 1736 as his birth date. Others um, place the record at 1677. So this would make Lee somewhere between 197 years old and 256 years old. Dang. So Lee, Lee himself never actually purported to be as old as 256 he put his birth date at 1736 but there is research um and evidence to the contrary yeah there was this professor he um he's the dean of the department of education at minkyu university his name is wu chung jin i don't know yeah um and he found records showing that lee was actually born in 1677 So, and this was from, like, the imperial records of China that praise him. This was, like, uh, military records. Um, After he had served for over 20 years in the military, obviously he was in their system, so to speak. And they gave him praise for his immense contributions to China. And they send him his best regards for his 150th birthday in Sorry, in 1827, and then they also sent him another congratulations in 1877 for his 200th birthday. 200! Isn't that insane? And those are on record, like, those can be found. And so the argument is that um, some some people think it's forged, right? Some people think it's forged. There's obviously no um, birth record for Lee himself. Again, that would probably be if potentially someone would just argue that it's a forged document. Mm -hmm. It's tough to... Could you imagine how easy it would have been to forge documents back then? Back in the day? But if you think about it from an anthropological standpoint, you would think that it might have been easy to um, make it look that way. But once you go back, it'd be like, oh, wait, no, this paper is actually carbon dated to a certain date. And the material, this ink type wasn't used during this time period or, you know, things like that. Things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. So perhaps, but maybe not if if you dig deep enough. Well, I tell you what, people really did believe him. Well, believe his story. They believed him, at least for the fact that he was born in 1736. And there was some pretty major. Yeah, there was some major people that believed that. Oh, totally. I was just going to say, like, you know, one thing to support Lee and his claims is the fact that he never tried to like make money off this. No, he wasn't trying to sell these like you know like the cure to non aging. You know what I mean? Like he no, was just he wasn't doing even his thing. really like you know he wasn't uh, writing books or he did have books written about him about though. him. Yes, he did indeed. And actually, that's what I was just about to mention. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, he he basically attracted the attention of a lot of kind of higher up people. And I was going to just mention this a few minutes ago, but General Yang Sen, who mm-hmm. was basically like 
yeah, just a well-known military tactician, and he he was a, a he was a literally I believe he was the commander in chief of the Imperial Army. Yeah, like he was like the main dude, or sorry, the Republic by this point because it's nineteen twenty-seven. Right. But. No, he was up there. Like, and he was mm-hmm. yeah, he was a commander of some kind. I can't remember the exact. I mean, obviously a general, but like where the details of it. But it's the the point is that he basically was a, was a big supporter of Lee, and he believed that this guy had the keys to not only just you know modest longevity, but potentially the elixir of life. He invited Lee to uh, Wanxian, China. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that's even remotely close <laughs> to teach about health and longevity. Um, so yeah, and this at this time Lee would have been reported to be about 250 years old, or in and around this time. Jeez. So in, in the 19 late 1920s, you should see the, this guy's face. We'll post a picture. It's like yeah. he looks like a mummy. <laughs> yeah. So and then, and then his visit was kind of big news because by this time in the 20s, you know he 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 was reportedly 250 plus. So this mm. had definitely like gotten around, and people had been writing about him. Um, and then later on, a, a full book. Was, uh, was published. So in the 1970s, mm-hmm. Yang Seng compiled a book of his accounts of Lee and his uh, teachings um, at that time. So he basically wrote down all of his uh, tactics and like basically the ways he went about meditating and mixing his herbs. And this was translated into English in 1982, um, titled The True Record of a 250-Year-Old Man. But according to, I mean, that's crazy. Like you said earlier, according to one of Lee's, uh, one version of Lee's married life, you mentioned it earlier, he Mm -hmm. buried 23 wives. Yeah. And was living with his 24th, a woman of around 60 years of age, um, during the time of his uh, first interview with Yang Sen in the late (laughs) 1920s. And then there's another account in 28 that credits him, like you said, yeah, Mm -hmm. over 180 living descendants. 11 generations. generations. Jinx. <laughs> Crazy. Recorded only... F- oh, man. S- some of them recorded less marriages. Like, oh, there's one record that it was only married 14 times. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's still a lot. Yeah. Marriages. How modest. How modest. He's obviously got it going on. Lee's Keys. Lee's Keys. <laughs> We're moving on to Lee's Keys. <laughs> moving on to Lee's Keys. <laughs> keys to longevity. Okay, Lee definitely espoused meditation. He was confident that a calm state of mind and a series of breathing techniques could lead to lasting longevity. So it's all in your state of mind. And he was very dedicated. Practiced them every day, hours at a time. You know, and some people, you know, it's hilarious. People would look at that today and be like, that's a waste of time. I can't do that. I can't commit that much time. I, I, you know what I mean? And we're just like, it's almost like, even for me, I'm like, I almost panic when I think, well, oh my gosh, spending eight hours a day meditating. Like, um, I need to be productive. I need to be doing yeah. stuff, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, that's going to kill me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny actually when I watched a little YouTube thing on Lee mm-hmm. and literally like 90% and we have a link for it, but like mm-hmm. 90% of the comments on the video are like, lived for 250 years like this guy didn't even live at all all he did was eat leaves and meditate like that's no way to live and blah 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 and it's like all those comments and it's like okay on the one hand it's like i get that and i get the sort of Mm -hmm. comedic interpretation because it is kind of like did you really live live but it's just it's it's a western lens oh totally and it's and it's it's, uh what is life and what sort of material wealth can you accumulate to sort of prove to people that you've lived a right. life or something. Yeah. But th- like the implication was very like MGMT message where it's like, you know, live fast and die young mm-hmm. where it's like, but why, why is that living? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not. And it's very interesting because, um, things like meditation and specifically Qigong 
um, which is what Lee practiced. He practiced Qigong, and he also practiced Tai Chi. Ooh, classic. And uh, it's interesting because there have been medical studies performed that do examine the psychological and physiological benefits of these types of practices. And it actually shows that there are significant benefits, such as decreasing your cortisol levels. So cortisol, that's a chemical hormone produced by the body in response to stress. So that's just one aspect of this whole thing. But it's very interesting because like, yeah, Qigong, Tai Chi, it... The benefits come about from this sort of return to an equilibrium. It's a balance in the body. Right. And just creating that sort of balance and equilibrium can also create strength, flexibility, balance. And, like, it's all performed through, yeah, exactly, a combination of breathing and movement. Right. And flow. flow. And, like, it reminds me, it's just, like, it's almost as if you're bringing your body back to a harmonious vibration. And that sounds, sounds very hippy-dippy when I say that, but it actually does. And there, yeah, there's been lots of studies that um, show that these sorts of postures and techniques and focused intentions, yeah. when you create that sort of awareness and that thing, that can actually open up new avenues of health and even yeah. just like um elimination of free radicals in your system and things like well, we'll get into that more especially related to his diet because mm-hmm. a lot of these superfoods that lee was eating definitely are have been purported to maintain that and promote these sorts of things yeah but very cool so well, let's talk about that a little bit then let's get into the diet yeah i'm interested because well, you pulled up most of this stuff i mean well you can kind of just you keep going. Okay. So literally all Lee ate was green leaves, berries, and ice wine, according to accounts. Right. Like, Rice. I'm imagining, like, come on, man. You didn't enjoy one hamburger in your diet. <laughs> like, like that's, that's not living. <laughs> Let's go to Triple O's. <laughs> Seriously. But anyways. Oh, we forgot to mention that. In our Which? In, for the Halloween thing, because oh. like we're obviously gonna like f- oh for the pumpkin carving. Oh my gosh, I'm totally getting off topic, That's but okay. I really want to talk about this just for a second. <laughs> we're gonna try and source some exclusive Canadian Halloween treats as part oh, of yeah. our prize package yes. for this, which is definitely not gonna be superfood related, and it's definitely not gonna help you live longer. But we want to for all of our American and um, Australian and UK fans, and we're, we're as far as they reach. Yes, we just want to give you a unique little Canadian thing. So we'll have to try and try that'll be a, that'll be yeah the tasty part of the uh, the prize exactly pack. and obviously some pin stickers hopefully a mug a pillow from itp's official t public store yeah and we'll have some secondary prizes too but anyway sorry all right lee's keys back to lee's keys <laughs> back to lee's keys um yeah so his diet so so he just ate green leaves berries and rice wine actually that's kind mushrooms. of a lie here because he did eat mushrooms as well right. which were called reishi mushroom or lindsay okay lindsay anyways reishi is known as a common like uh, immune boosting um thing <laughs> Nutritional good for your thing. liver lungs and brain too it, yeah so it's a kind of like a all of these sort of sound very holistic very they new all age, kind of way. like work together mm-hmm. seemingly but things like um like, yeah like anti-aging benefits these antioxidants uh Lots of blood sugar control. So this is specific to goji berries that I'm talking about now. So okay. reishi mushroom, yeah. So immune boosting, goji berries, antioxidants, um, preventing cancer, boosting energy levels, uh, preventing um, unhealthy weight levels, things like that. Okay. Ginseng. Ginseng, obviously, like, 
everyone knows ginseng. Ginseng knows it for like for its effects for energy and like in energy drinks, but it can also have potential benefits against fighting cancer again. So this is all free radical based, right? Like a lot of cancers that develop in the bodies are a result of sort of a domino effect of these free radicals. But anyways, I'm going to get that in a second because I've got this whole list of lovely things here. <laughs> Andrew's just like, he looked at this before we started recording. He's like, so um, you got a big, long list here of stuff to go through for his time. I'm like, we're not going to go through every single one, but just so people get the gist of it. Just I feel like you could just... what he was consuming. I exactly. think it's important because I'm going to try to tie all of this into the legends and lore of okay. the immortals. There you go. So it's all very relevant. So ginseng, again, um, may reduce inflammation, potential antioxidant, increases brain function. <laughs> this is a good one here. Could improve erectile dysfunction. Obviously, Lee did not have any problems in she that. She clearly did not. So. Yeah, this is another interesting one here. So Lee actually was known to consume a lot of heishu wu, um, okay. which I'm assuming is a type of berry. And again, this flight fights inflammation, maintains liver health, heart health, um, supports longevity and anti-aging, mm-hmm. clearing up brain fog. So what I hear when I see something like that, like clearing up brain fog, I'm hearing synapse repairs in your brain. So the literal electric connections that form between different neurons in your brain, the things that fire that actually make you think and yeah. form connections. That's what that's doing. It's, it's enhancing that it's, um, remyelinating those connections. So myelin, or a myelinated cell, like the connection, the yeah, neuron yeah, yeah. snaps, that's basically the lubrication. Right. So the ability for those, um, neurons to fire properly. And then obviously, okay, we got rice wine as well. This so. is the most important one because this is this. This was kind of the. This medium. was his. Uh, he got to enjoy some rice wine. Yeah, I'm so, assuming the alcohol level was quite low. Low ABV. I wonder. Well, you know, a little bit of ABV helps anyone out. Yeah, clears you out, kills some bacteria. It does. Yeah, it's an antibacterial substance. Um, it can reduce the size of cancerous tumors and free radicals that cause cancer. So we're getting all of this again, like free radicals, like this all comes down to this stuff. Um, boosting immunity and your metabolism, reducing inflammation, promoting blood circulation, all this stuff. Again, with um, go-to cola, which was another thing that he was known to eat. Um, it, it, again, like it's used to fight fatigue, anxiety, depression, Alzheimer's disease. So again, brain health, memory improvement, yeah, memory, sure. intelligence. Um, it can, yeah, I don't, circulation problems. It's so funny. It's like this laundry list. I feel like we're on like an episode of Dr. Oz or something. Yeah. I feel like we're just, <laughs> the show has shifted now. What are we, what are we, <laughs> but another huge thing. So all of these are what we would term superfoods in the Western world. Yes. And superfoods have this thing in them known, it's called phytochemicals. Right. Phytochemicals okay. is kind of like, it's been like reported as like sort of this miraculous cure for everything sure. or whatever. But it's really kind of weird. It's not what you would think. So according to how stuff works, phytochemicals are actually natural compounds found in fruits and vegetables. But there are substances that don't fall within any other category. So they're not vitamins, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, or minerals. And so they're not nutrients. That is, so they're not necessary for sustaining life. But they are beneficial to our health. And each type of fruit and vegetable could contain hundreds of these phytochemicals. 
So, for example, an orange could contain up to 170 different phytochemicals. Crazy. Yeah. And so where the hell do these phytochemicals come from? Um, So they're obviously sourced from these plants, and it was a evolutionary sort of tactic for plants. And what I read, this is again from HowStuffWorks.com, so basically when the earth was young, there was um, a very different composition of gases in the air. So there's a lot less oxygen, a lot more carbon dioxide. As plants developed and began to flourish, they started converting that carbon dioxide into oxygen. Plants don't do well with oxygen, though. It's kind of a hostile environment for them. They need carbon dioxide to actually um, sustain themselves and grow. So what they started to do, uh, they formed these compounds that were actually phytochemicals that um, are antioxidant. To protect themselves. Exactly, to protect themselves. And so... Yeah, as as the world became a more oxygen-rich environment, they um, they created more and more and more as an evolutionary response. And today, it's interesting, plants would not be able to survive in our world with the amount of oxygen around uh, if they didn't have these. Crazy. So it's kind of this weird thing, but phytochemicals, so they ultimately protect plants and those who, to, who, who choose to consume them, so vegetarians and all of us, whatever, have a salad once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> they, they protect plants from free radicals. Interesting. Yeah. So even though these mechanisms are very unclear to researchers, it's very murky business. But essentially, free radicals are dangerous because they do result in cancerous cell formations. So basically what happens, how free radicals are formed in the body is when <laughs> when you get bad bonds between cells and molecules that form cells. Mm. So if there is a molecule with an unpaired electron, so an odd man out, so to speak, that electron is going to just sort of be a free radical and start causing chaos and start breaking up other molecules in order to gain their electrons. Gotcha. And it's a domino effect between all these. And then basically what it could do, it, it creates this very unstable um, environment and it starts reacting with other compounds in order to gain that stability. <laughs> so basically, it's just, yeah, it's a chain reaction. Once the process starts, it can cascade, resulting in the disruption of a living cell or a living organism, like a person. Yeah. So that's how you get these different types of cancers forming and stuff. But it's very, very interesting. interesting. So I feel like if you do have a higher level of metaphysical understanding of yourself and the body, and you're able to sort of make those repairs and sort of create that harmonious environment from within. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like you're consuming... Through diet and through exercise yeah, and meditation. Yeah, you're consuming the right diet. And mm-hmm. then the meditation is the, yeah, the centering and allowing those, the, the compounds of what you're consuming to actually like go to the spots they need to go mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, that is kind of like the, the idea of yoga and exactly. of those types of things. Right? And it's sort of funny. Like I have this like weird sort of like um, metaphor of like almost like <laughs> we have at our work, we have what we call a motion generator. <laughs> we call it the shaker table and it basically sorts everything out to where it needs to be like in our apple press room so the juice gets sorted to one area all the um, particles of apple get like mixed and shuffled and vibrated into a nice neat little pile Mm -hmm. and so it's just like to me like i i almost see that as like your body is one big shaker table and you're just like trying to shift everything back to where it needs to exactly yeah i don't know that's a weird very weird it's kind of a strange (laughs) metaphor but i or analogy but i i uh i like it though because it does sort of seem like that and obviously lee had some sort of and i think it matters too like this is the thing though because this is also new age right like nowadays Mm. especially looking at it from our lens 
And basically to say like, oh, you know, ginseng, goji berries, like all these types of things, like you consume these things and you'll be healthier. But it's about In our society. No, but it's about it's about the, um, <laughs> the whole package. The whole like, package. Mm-hmm. The the preparation. The timing of consumption. When it's picked. Right. Your like, state of mind. Your state right? of mind. Your where you are. Where you are. Like, like where you're physically you're located. The, like yeah. all these things matter. Mm-hmm. It's about more than just the the body itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, th- what's interesting? That's about interesting. All actually, the, you say that because internality versus externality yeah. what is more important as a factor who you are internally or your the environment you reside within right hmm exactly sorry i kind of no not at all no i no totally that is kind of the question of this entire episode really yeah in a way now we what i wanted to try to do because i thought i found this all to be i mean exactly what i expected in terms of like okay well what did this guy consume to live to be 200 and 56 years old potentially. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's not just about, I mean, this is all tied into ancient searches for these things. So it's like, it got me thinking, it's like, okay, well, did, did a Chinese emperor from 2000 years ago, was he looking for goji berries? You know what I mean? Was Mm -hmm. he looking for an herb that wasn't as readily available that was purported to be one of these everlasting life giving like plants, you know what I mean? That, have you know later on been harvested by people like lee like in the mountains Mm -hmm. that was kind of it got me thinking about that but this quest for eternal life the elixir of life the philosopher's stone is ubiquitous around the world obviously but it's been a part of chinese mythology for a very very long time so dating all the way back to the first emperor of china ling zeng so well the first emperor of unified china okay so he basically was obsessed with searching for the elixir of life. This was basically, it was paramount for his rule. Hmm. He consumed himself with it. He was, born in, he was born in 259 BCE, and he declared himself, renamed essentially as Qin Shi Huang, or as, yeah, the first emperor of the, the Qin dynasty in, mm. uh, at the, around the age of 38 years old. And he wanted to be sure that he lived long enough to basically fulfill his proclamation that he would survive for 10,000 generations of his rule. Who said that? He did. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like, and he wanted to like live up to that. Okay. He wanted to see it through. Hmm. Now, there was kind of an interesting thing discovered. This was just a little while ago. It was in the early 2000s. There were 2,000-year-old texts that were found that were dating uh, dated to this emperor's rule. Hmm. And they were found at a site that was actually um, a little bit older, but the texts themselves were perfectly dated to his, his reign. And they basically talked about his search. So the documents in question were found, uh, it was a cache of about 36,000 wooden strips, which what? is essentially what they used for writing, right? Wow. Um, for ancient calligraphy. And these Free were found... paper, man. Yeah, seriously. And that's... And that's why it was preserved so well too obviously oh, yeah. like super a durable huge difference yeah and they were found in an abandoned well out in the country in the Hunan province like super super remote hmm. how cool is that like you found That's like bizarre. these ancient texts hidden down a well in the county of who I wonder how close that is to the um, the Chinese capital. What we would sh- have been the capital back then? I feel like oh, it changed. There would there, I don't even think there would have been a distinct capital. Yeah, at that time, would have been a few different places probably. But anyway, they indicated he sent out a search for such a potion, or at least sent out a search for the knowledge of such a potion. And essentially, these strips contained an executive order <laughs> demanding that his subjects search for the immortality elixir to keep him alive forever. And according to the B- um, researchers from the BBC, mm-hmm. his writings express 
expressed, quote, an assorted awkward replies from regional governments who failed to find <laughs> the key to eternal life for the emperor. <laughs> so it's basically just like he was dead serious about it. And this was just like the correspondence back and forth and them being like, we can't find this. <laughs> Although there were officials in one area of uh, Langya. I don't know exactly where that is. We can Google it, though. Mm-hmm. Who did suggest that there was an herb from a local mountain that might do the trick. Now, Interesting. What, where where exactly was this Maybe mountain? Maybe it was the Snow what, Mountains. What mountain are you talking about? Yeah. What mountain are you talking about? What herb is this? What are you, where, what are you talking I'm about? I'm currently looking up the map here. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, that's a really pretty mountain. So. Whoa. Look at that. Whoa, cool. We need to go to China. That'd be cool. We need some more money. <laughs> we need some more Patreon We need a GoFundMe. GoFundMe, yeah, for a China trip. That would be cool, actually. Do, like, a myths voyage. Oh, it's pretty far north from where Lee was. Okay. Lee was more, like, in the south So, central. literally, this emperor had... This is by Beijing. He had people all over the entire country scouring for uh, the potential ingredients mm-hmm. for an elixir of life then. But what this kind of, like, sparked for me was it reminded me of this, this legend in Chinese and Japanese mythology of a great mountain hidden in the sea. An island that's basically just like the massive, just a massive mountain coming out of the water and nobody knows exactly where it is. It's a mm-hmm. mythical place. And in that Chinese mythology, like very much so. In Chinese mythology, it's called Mount Penglai. Um, in Japan, I can't remember exactly what it's called. I had it written down here, I thought, but now I can't see it. But anyway, it's called Mount Penglai. But this kind of got me thinking. It's like, okay, well, is this what the emperor from 2000... 2,000 years ago was trying to find? Was it specifically this mountain? Or is this possibly where some of these herbs and things came from? Like, I don't know the Hmm. history of the goji berry and its movement throughout history. It would have potentially come from a different place, but this would have been hundreds of thousands of years ago. Well, that's interesting. You'd have to look at the timeline of when this sort of Mount Penglai uh, mythology came about versus when this guy was ruling. Right. But what's interesting about this Mount Penglai, though, and how this kind of ties into this, is that it's sort of, okay, first of all, it's rarely mentioned in any mythologies having to do with eternal life or anything like this in any religion or any ancient text or whatever. It's usually, they don't mention that the gods themselves are consuming things. It's usually just, like, they're immortals, but it doesn't go that much further than that, other than the fact that, like, if we think of, like, the forbidden fruit from, like, the Garden of Eden or, or, like, things like that. What was that in Greek mythology where there was that horn? You drink from the horn of uh, some sort of mythical goat or something, and then that gives you... There's all kinds of stuff like that, but essentially it's, like, it's usually something special, like Mm -hmm. you just said, like, from the horn of a goat or, like, whatever. It's not just, like... From this one goat god thing, I think, or something. But on Mount Penglai, this was supposedly the location where eight immortals lived, Mm -hmm. and they needed to eat food, like, regular... not, Not regular food like a normal mortal would eat, but they needed to consume in the same manner as a mortal in order to maintain their power and strength. And so... Yeah, many references are referred to this, referred to this, these gods, and that people would be people have been trying to find this island for thousands of years in order to bring back these plants, hmm. these herbs and these fruits. Interesting. So that's my question. It's like, did anyone find this and bring something back and plant it and it sort of spread? Yeah. I don't even know. It's just an interesting thought. That is very interesting. 
So, okay, wait. So how specific are they on what this, like, life force food was? Well, that's just it, though. It's kind of, yeah. So, okay. So the story goes that this emperor hired this alchemist named Zhu Fu. And he was, like, a magician slash alchemist. So basically mm. an interchangeable title back in the day, obviously. And that reminds me of Lee from our Chinese Explorers episode, where it's like in the 400s BC. Yeah. And he, was, he was another magician. <laughs> they were all magicians back in the day, apparently. If you could do something crazy, you're a magician. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But yeah, no, uh, Emperor Qin Shi Huang, he entrusted Zhu Fu with the task of finding the secret of immortality and basically searching for the mountain. And so in 219 BC, he was sent out, supposedly, well, allegedly, the, the story goes, with 3,000 virgin boys and girls. Uh, as essentially like an offering for the elixir. Was it an offering or was it more just like evidence that they were worthy? Yeah, one of the two. Either or, I guess. Mm. I mean, Be like, Look same how pure idea. we are. Look how good we are. Right. We deserve this. Which yeah. Is standard so it was a fleet of ships. A fleet of like Chinese Another fleet. chunks, I guess. Right? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So he was supposed to retrieve this elixir from, um, from Penglai Mountain, but apparently they never returned. Um, they just, they went out months and months and months and just never came back to China. Hmm. Yeah. They just disappeared. Yeah. Shoot. Just outright vanished. Maybe the Kraken got them or So something. he never ended up with his elixir of life, but I just thought that was such a cool legend, like the idea of this like mythical mountain just protruding from the sea and it's like really hard to find. Hmm. I don't really know. That totally reminds me of like, yeah, when we talked about the ancient Chinese explorers and there was the story of that one guy who... Again, right? Remember, he he apparently went on one mission, came back with this story of, like, these magical, like, raging f- rivers and mountains and just this beautiful, rugged landscape. And then he basically told the emperor that he needed, I can't remember how many X amount of people and X amount of ships and supplies to go back mm-hmm. and sort of um, tempt them so they could give, like, you know, do an exchange of sorts. And right. it just never took place. Just never happened. He never came back. Yeah. So maybe this is the exact same story. It might be. Like, there is one um, version of the legend where he does return, although most of them basically said that he doesn't. Okay. Um, apparently, I, I just found my other section of the notes here. So according uh-huh. to the classics of mountains and seas, the mountain is said to be on an island, right, like we said, in the eastern end of the Bohai Sea. So this is just in and around China, south, what would be now South China Sea. Uh, along with four other islands, all of which could be the inhabitants, uh, the uh, the hiding place of the eight immortals, but they were known to inhabit this one main mountain, Penglai. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, inhabited by godlike beings, it's described as a paradise, no pain, hunger, or disease because of the fruit, the foods that they're eating. So it, it was able to heal their diseases as well and grant eternal youth. Yeah. So that does sound like a lot of these ingredients and, and foods that I just listed off. It really does. That's yeah. what I found to be so interesting, right? And you just made the joke about the sea creature. Well, in the one version of the legend, Zufu does return, although he claims that he wasn't able to get the elixir because a giant sea creature blocked his path. Mm. Um, and so he actually was asking the emperor for archers in order to kill the creature to gain access to the mountain. Interesting. But that's definitely sounding more mythological than... than uh, Oh, here. Sorry, I'm just going through the notes again. Yeah, I remember mm. the classic Chinese account of Fu Sang, which was another sort of, uh, like, a magical land. 20,000 Chinese miles away from the Great Han country, so the Middle Kingdom, which was China. Right. And, oh, and this is just it. Yeah, it describes the Fu Sang trees with leaves the color of oak and red pearl berries. Okay. 
Yeah. Crazy. See, but there's this elements is the of, whole people, too. See, but there's elements of this, too, that tie into that episode. Like, the mm-hmm. idea that how far did people venture and search for the elixirs for these ancient emperors? Yeah. Right? And if they did go far enough, you know, to make it six, potentially to North America, for example, did the combination mm-hmm. of ingredients there with other things found, say, on a place that is a mythical place like a Mount Penglai and yeah. brought back... You know, this is ancient knowledge that is now lost, is basically what I'm trying to say. Exactly. And could have been reinterpreted, reimagined, um, different, yeah, different texts and things that are kind of like scattered through the winds and all that, you know? Now, of course, this legend of uh, Zufu and taking the 3,000, or, well, there's debate about how many children it was, virgin boys and girls, but there's some evidence that it might actually have some basis in truth. Like, it isn't just a story. So... There was a massive burial complex that was discovered in South China, um, and this was relatively relatively recently. The site itself is Neolithic, so dating around 10,000 years ago, but they found tombs dating to the same period as Zufu's supposed voyage, so just over 2,000 years old. All of these tombs contained urn-type burials of children. <laughs> Sacrificial. Oh, Lord. So... How were they killed? They were... Well... They weren't, like, brutal, brutally slaughtered or anything. They must have either been poisoned or, mm. I don't even know, suffocated, I guess. They were actually um, dis- disassembled, though, to, like, fit in different pots. So there were different parts of them in different Ooh. pots, but in their own individual burial locations. Interesting. But all in this one kind of mass grave. So how many children? Uh, well, um, there were over 2,000. What? Yep. Over 2,000. Over 2,000 or over 2,000 years old? Um, maybe I'm just reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I have some pictures of it, and we have the link, actually. But, I mean, there definitely wasn't the 3,000. Um, that was the claimed number, obviously, of the voyage. But it was just interesting because an archaeologist from Shanghai University, Li Yun, believed that this could be the resting place of those children. Hmm. Um, potentially linked to that story. So, yeah, the skulls and the feet of the children were removed and placed in uh, smaller urns. Hmm. Yeah. So it would have been a sacrifice. It wouldn't have been a, like, look at how pure we are. (laughs) We deserve this elixir. Please give it to us and we'll be on our way. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So not really like that. (laughs) No, it's a kind of a different version of the story, but it does does potentially tie to it. Okay, wait, so sorry, you said that the actual site itself dates back 10,000 years old to the Neolithic era, Mm -hmm. and then, but these tombs themselves are believed to be just over 200, or 2,000 years old. Yeah, so the site itself was, like, uh, inhabited by Neolithic peoples. So that does date the correct time period for this first emperor that was looking for this elixir. Yeah, which is kind of neat. That is very cool. Yeah. It's very coincidental, right? It's kind of mind-blowing, really. That's yeah, and these this you know this Zufu and all this the search for eternal life in you know predating Christ essentially in the BCEs basically was the <laughs> the prelude for uh, for further for later alchemists like guys we've talked about before like Gay Hong. Yeah, and Gay Hong, yeah, he's definitely relevant in this conversation. He comes up about four hundred years later. We did touch on him really briefly in our Alchemist episode with Travis. That was like the homunculus one, episode three. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Of of episode three. Episode three. Yeah, no, so this guy, he was an alchemist. He was a philosopher. He definitely, he's been credited. He was the guy that came up with... um, Tinfoil. Uh, yeah, tinfoil or metal paper. Yeah. This amazing feat. Yeah. Very cool. He was definitely 
very hellbent on creating, um, like, like, you know, like the classic alchemist thing where they're trying to convert other substances into yeah, gold. Turning lead into gold or turning, yeah, whatever. Exactly. And he, yeah, so just a bit about him, like his biography, he was born in approximately in 283 CE in Jurong. So, yeah, this, he was the youngest of three sons. He was a bit of an odd child. He didn't really participate in a lot of the activities with other kids and games and things like that. He was kind of in his own little world. Yeah. And then by the age of 14, he had entered into um, the tutelage of Zeng Ying, which was an accomplished uh, classical scholar who turned to esoteric studies later in life. So esoteric's a little bit off the mainstream. Yes, indeed it is. <laughs> But That's our style. Interestingly, Gay Hong was pretty obsessed with immortality as well. He so, was. like a lot of alchemists, they were looking for these elixirs of life again. Yeah. And he actually did believe that anyone, through great effort and study, could achieve immortality. Right. Uh, we're not saying material immortality, but. Perhaps well, that's other just forms. it. It's like, what did he mean? We don't exactly know. Mm-hmm. The philosophy's different. Exactly. You got to wonder if he was contracted by someone to find it. Oh, kind of like I how wonder. the emperor, you know, was forcing people to six hundred years before him, or whatever, four hundred plus years. Yeah, very cool though. Like he again, like like Li Qingyun, he believed in basics. Yeah, basics, man. Like. In fact, like, he actually said, like, if you were rich and powerful, this is actually a... A detriment. It is a detriment, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) A detriment, yeah. So it gets in the way. It's a distraction. It's harmful. Wealth and position, because they inhibit one from attaining the necessary moral and physical serenity. It's kind of interesting. The less you have, the more you have, really. You know, if you think about it. Um, but essentially he believed that he had a really interesting philosophy. He believed in this sort of metaphysical oneness. He called it the Zhuang. Zhuang. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's X-U-A-N, which basically he terms this as the mystery. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, it's, it's very similar to the Tao, like the way the, or the Yi, which would be like the one unity, that type of thing. Yeah. But basically, he believed that this creates and animates all things. It's kind of like the life force, or prana. Right. Mm-hmm. And, okay, this is very interesting. So, this is a quote from Gehong. Yes, it is. Describing the mystery, or the Zhuang. So, the Zhuang carries with it the embryo of the original one. It forms and shapes the two principles, yin and yang. It exhales and absorbs the great genesis it inspires and transforms the multitude of species. It makes constellations go round. It shapes the primordial darkness. It guides the wonderful mainspring of the universe. And it exhales, exhales sorry, the four seasons. If one adds to it, it does not increase. If one takes away from it, it does not grow less. If something is given to it, it is not increased in glory. If something is taken from it, it does not suffer. Where the mystery is present, joy is infinite. Where the mystery has departed, efficacy is exhausted and the spirit disappears. End quote. So that wow. is, that's deep, man. That's profound stuff. That's very interesting. That does bring to mind 
um, Tesla when he's talking about the life force and the prana. Yeah. The idea of like an essence of all things. Yeah. And this is what I, yeah. And, and, and that's just that, like the part that I find most interesting here is just this bit where it's like, if one adds to it, it does not increase. Right. If one takes away from it, it does not grow less. Those things. It was, that ties into like what I was saying before, like with our like kind of Western philosophy of trying to do things to either like, yeah, to beat the odds, to compound something, to, to mm-hmm. have an effect on something else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is a different way of thinking about something. Yeah, really Nothing is. is affected. You know what I mean? Like nothing is, nothing we do matters mm. is I guess that's, is the point of this. That's right? almost very exhilarating to think about right and it's very a, freeing very freeing mm-hmm. yeah you're not like a prison of your own decisions and actions it's like there's something beyond that yeah that sort of can come about and i don't even know like yeah create create your reality in a way that you can't create for yourself and if you just if you just sit back take a step back from the driver's seat and just experience what's going on around you it's just <sighs> it's a it's a different life altogether yeah I love the idea that our perception ultimately informs our reality. If we change our perception, we change our reality. And it all comes from within. It's not from without. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's an important thing to acknowledge. I feel like I struggle with that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. We both need to take some of Lee's keys and and apply them to our own lives. Yeah. (laughs) Like, actually... I definitely want to enjoy more meditation and get more into that sort of practice and breathing, just simple breathing. A lot of people say, like, if you include um, just a few minutes every morning of just Qigong, where you're basically just like your posture, uh, you can do it sitting down or standing up, whatever's more comfortable. You you create this posture, you create this sort of um, this breathing um, rhythm, and you just kind of like do a little bit of a flow. It reminds me, you know, just like yoga flow, where you're just kind of doing your thing yeah but it, actually if you do that right in the morning right when you wake up before you have coffee before you have your meal your breakfast anything that can create a huge difference in your overall mentality carries oh, with sure. you for the rest of your day and if you get away from it then maybe you can have your own little like mental safe spot where you just come back and just recenter. like even just that idea of recentering. like people i feel like it's so weird i feel like i don't even have a center I need to like find it. And then, too busy, too yeah. busy to have a center, right? <laughs> and that's that's a product of our lives and our but this society, is, this, society and culture. These, and these concepts we're talking about right now, this is bringing me back to Tesla because we talked about this a little bit. Did you want to touch on that, or do you want to save that for the end? Tesla. Well, I did have some notes on Tesla a little bit, like he because like he. <laughs> Tesla was an interesting character. He actually purposely shocked himself in order to sort of create synapses changes and, and, and just, um, I don't even know, like chemical changes, physiochemical changes in his brain and his mentality. At one point, he was quoted as saying, everything is spinning, everywhere is energy, which I would kind of um, attribute to his sort of Eastern philosophy um uh, influences yeah and specifically those of Swami vivekananda right um yeah and the idea of the prana the idea of the prana life force is energy right and energy can be harnessed in each individual we saw that awesome that the prestige with bowie yeah and uh and how he basically like he he did that um example where you basically you hold the light bulb and it turns on because you have the energy within you right 
I thought that was really cool. It's a good little metaphor for for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it goes obviously far beyond that and far beyond our comprehension. Yeah, we had, even the idea that we are all like battery cells. It's all cool though. I just so I guess I mean to tie this in. I mean, not that it's disconnected really, but to tie this into the theme of the episode, it's like how does this translate into being able to live for hundreds of years or potentially reach complete immortality? Right. So, I mean, there's been some crazy age claims over the centuries, over the millennium. Um, Very true. You know, and nowadays people take age validation really, really seriously. So it's all looked into, right? And it can be, it can be validated. So looking at consistency between birth, death, marriage records, you know, um, whether names have been changed, like the ideal validation procedure includes like a complete family reconstruction, which is quite easy to do nowadays. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, looking at the timing of the composition of the actual birth certificates and all the documents and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. Of course, you couldn't do that back in the day because no. we have an infinite number of ancient, and a lot of them are biblical, um, mm. extreme longevity claims that are really just quite interesting. So I thought I'd throw out a few here. And mm. one of them, we're bringing up good old Harati Dadi again <laughs> because, um, yeah, literally for thousands of years, people have been searching for the elixir of life. Greek historian Herodotus None other than the man, the myth, the classic, legend. good old Herodotus. <laughs> he wrote of, um, I actually think we might have mentioned this in our first ever episode, but he wrote of a fountain somewhere in modern day Ethiopia <gasps> that yes. supposedly restored people to their former youth. Fountain of youth. Right? Bathed in its waters. And uh, yeah, it's kind of some serious, yeah, it's, yeah, that's that's some serious fountain of youth stuff right there. Totally. Then, of course, you've got Old Testament reckoning, reckonings and their sort of classic people with, you know, living for a really long time. For example, the biblical patriarch, uh, oh my gosh, how do you pronounce this guy's name? The grandfather of Noah, Noah, like Noah's <laughs> Ark, Noah. Methuselah. Methuselah. So his alleged age was somewhere between 720 and 969 years old. Whoa. Giggity, giggity. Um, <laughs> these themes are not uncommon, obviously, in, uh, yeah, across ancient texts, biblical texts, things like that. Mm-hmm. So who out there listening thinks that, that Noah's grandfather lived to be 969 years old? You know what I mean? And then as we come through the, gener- the, the millennium and the centuries, there's just more and more and more, and it kind of gets hard to tell. So there was a guy in Japan, a person in Japan, Mitsu Tara, believed to be 240 years old during the Tang Dynasty. There's too many to keep. There's there, there, there is a lot. I came across a few, too. And there's also... Okay, so if you even just Wikipedia longevity claims, you'll come across all of this information. But it's interesting. They actually have a term for a person that's super, super old. They call them a super centurion. Yeah. So someone that's Way like longer than 100. 110 years old, right. exactly. Um but I came across a few. There was this one French woman who was actually the confirmed oldest person that's ever lived. Um, <laughs> confirmed is, yeah. But anyways, her name was Jean, Jean Clement. And she was French. She came from a long-living family, even though there is no particular explanation. Um, she basically lived a very comfortable and stress-free life. I feel like stress-free is a big that's the part key. of this as well. Definitely. She did have a healthy appetite and she also had a daily exercise routine and she was able to walk around without a stick until the age of 114 years old, oh according God. to Wikipedia. And so that's very interesting. And she is confirmed to have died at the age of 122. That's old. Yes. There was another man I came across. This was actually kind of funny. Well, not funny, but there was like a little spin that I thought that was funny. But, um, he was Russian. His name was Shirali Muslimov. 
Uh, and he was... Well, he wasn't actually Russian, but he was an Azerbaijani. <laughs> From Azer- Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. <laughs> he was a shepherd. He um, he lived in a village, a very mountainous area near the Iranian border. And he basically claimed to be the oldest person who ever lived. And <sighs> he, when he died in 1973, he was allegedly the age of 168. Crazy. So that would place him about 46 years older than Jean Clement. But it says here that Muslimov worked hard every day up to 100, up to 167 years old. He didn't smoke or drink. He ate a lot of fruits, vegetables, wholemeal bread, chicken broth, low-fat cheese, and yogurt. But the funny part was that uh, his story was really picked up by Nat Geo and Danone, like the yogurt the company. The yogurt company. They, oh they, wanted to, they wanted to attribute his longevity to the yogurt. Of course they did. So that was kind of funny. But this guy had several wives throughout his lifetime. uh, But unfortunately, he did die of pneumonia. So there was no birth record. But if he is as old as he says he is, then he would be older than Jean Clement. And I don't know. Maybe he does have some reason to sort of make these claims and want to be that person. But if you're just a rural shepherding guy, like, I feel like, like, come on, like, I don't know, maybe he's trying to sell a book. Who knows? It was the 70s, so. Yeah, there was a big been. resurgence of these types of claims in the 70s onward. It yeah. was just like, it, exactly what we said, new age. And it new wasn't just new age stuff, and it was through this region, like the Caucasus and Soviet Russia, also, and, and just a few other obscure places, like the Hunza Valley in Pakistan and the Vilcambamba Valley in Ecuador. There was a bunch of crazy mm. longevity claims coming out of these, these. And I'm sure there's tons that we've never even heard of, and they just live in their little, their, they live of their isolated lives and they live them for a long time and they yeah. like i'm even wondering too like uh, we covered the north Sentinelese people i wonder what their sort of how long some of them average before. Yeah. yeah no kidding hey you have to wonder no way to know but they're only eating fish and whatever sort of plants fish turtles eat. and whatever kind of plants they got on that island but yeah. interesting probably no superberries though i'm thinking no superberries but maybe they do maybe there's a secret stash there's this one berry bush in the middle of the island, and then you're just like living off of it. One berry bush. It's like the it's like the guy from Life of Brian. He's like doesn't talk for thirty years, and he's like living off juniper berries. <laughs> oh, oh dear. gosh! Well, so, we're sort of migrating into the discussion here. Just the, the, to wrap it up, yeah. I, it's hard. There's not really a theories section. So to speak, really? Because this was kind of a bit of a different episode. We just thought it was fascinating, though. I mean, mm-hmm. do you do we believe that Li Qingyun lived to be two hundred and fifty six years old? Um, from the photo I saw, yes, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> he looks. He looks like he's five hundred years old. He doesn't look. But another interesting part about Li that we not, didn't actually list honestly, was his height. He was Ooh, tall. Like, right. he was over seven feet tall. Yeah. Like, seven foot one or seven, seven foot, foot three. one, just over that, something like that. Which is interesting, because generally, <laughs> generally <laughs> speaking, <laughs> um, when you have an increased body mass and density, like bone density, you're going to have a lot more health problems. Yeah. But these superberries and things that he's eating actually increase bone density as well. A proven thing of Tai Chi and Qigong, like the breathing and all that and the movements, yeah. they actually increase your bone density as well. So maybe he wouldn't have had issues. I'm thinking like osteoporosis, all this kind of stuff. Like right. you've got a lot of weight, gravity's, you know, like obviously you didn't have the problem of having a big chest because it wasn't a woman. So that's right. a big thing. Right. <laughs> No back pressure. No. But even despite that, like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of health complications. And we've seen people with um, 
what's it called, like gigantism, and they die at a very early age because of yeah. these complications. Yeah. Well, it's hard to do anything. Yeah. Like, uh, this is going to sound like a silly example, but it, I, I, I always think of when we talk about, yeah, anything, people that are really big, I always think of Yao Ming, uh, former NBA oh, yeah. all-star. He was seven foot six, Whoa. but his career was cut really short because he was just way too big. He had foot injuries that just would never mm. heal because he was too big. But maybe, maybe being in a high altitude environment like the Snow Mountains would improve that. Possibly. For someone. Possibly. I'm thinking of the Denver Nuggets now. <laughs> <laughs> Two NBA references. Look at that. We're basketball fans, if in case anybody hasn't noticed. Mm-hmm. Going to do a plug for your new basketball podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm planning on releasing a basketball podcast. I don't really have a name or anything really set up for it, but um, yeah, stay tuned for that. I'll but let you guys gonna know. call it Northern Hoops. I'm thinking about calling it Northern Hoops podcast. Kind of a Canadian perspective on on. Uh, the NBA and basketball in general and some like recap stuff, fun, fun stuff. Go Raps. Yeah, go Raptors. Anyway, mm-hmm. you guys can let us know what you think about that. <laughs> Paranormal and But I'm going to say, honestly, like the fact, I think that he was somewhere in between. I, I feel like he definitely outlived the 122 years of um, the French lady. I don't know if 256 mm. he reached it. But it's like, I believe in all kinds of crazy things like that we talk about on the show. And I'm always bringing up interdimensional theories and all kinds of wild things that I have no evidence for mm-hmm. at all, really. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with this, it's like you look at something, there's evidence for things that can make you live longer, things that can be you know worked into your life, meditation, and then eating to go along with that. Yeah. It's like those are physical things we can look at. And then it's really just a matter of whether you believe the records or not. You know what I mean? Very like true. The, it's, it's it's not all... the same as it's not the same as like, you know, oh, we had video of an alien, but now it's not on the video. Mm. So I don't know if it's true or not. And it's not as if we haven't heard of this before. There is another very famous case. Count of St. Germain. Oh my <laughs> we have gosh. Not brought up. <laughs> we have not brought that up. No. And again, very murky records, but people of notoriety and people high up in aristocratic courts and everything all across Europe claim to have seen this man. Right. The only thing is like, are they actually seeing the same man? Yeah. Or a very clever ruse. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that's the other thing about this guy. That's, that's one of the theories about, about Lee, that this is really just a matter of, um, there's been multiple generations under the same name and they've he's produced offspring that have also all been seven feet tall and look like him, obviously. So maybe and this has just been his. passed through the generations, and mm. it's essentially being attributed to the same man, but it's potentially three different men. But they're all the same name of the same lineage and the same thing. That's a possibility, but it's that also something that would be ruse. really. I mean, there's so much intent behind that, though. It's like, why would you put on that but ruse? If you think about it, though. Maybe it's not so much a ruse, but it is sort of like a genuine belief in rebirth to a certain extent. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's it, another way it, of thinking he it, too. Is, he is Li Ching Yun. He's just the next next phase of it's Li It's very Ching much Yun. like Buddhist philosophy. It is. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Because... Uh, like you know like the Tao all these things we've talked about with um, Qigong and Tai Chi like those are all related to um, practices in different sort of Eastern philosophies things like yeah like Buddhism um, Taoism and I can't remember the other one Tao oh oh Confucianism oh isn't it like the Tao or yeah, something Taoism is the oh yeah. T-A-O isn't it the same thing 
Yes. Yeah, that's oh, that's a murky subject because okay. like the Tao and the Dao, it's like I don't even know which is right actually. We're not going down. But we're not going to go down that road. <laughs> no. But yeah, I honestly I I don't have a hard time like I I think that when you do exist in such a radically different state of mind, state of being, state of reality, and all the different environmental, ecological factors around you mm-hmm. kind of reflect that. Mm-hmm. I feel as though these types of things could be possible. I think so, too. I feel like it's about this, like, yeah, it's about that separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to bring this up again, but Tesla and the concept of the prana because of this being like, yeah, like it's a, uh, there's more to life than what exists within the body, obviously. Mm-hmm. So like this energy, there is an energy exterior outside the body that can be harnessed to benefit the tent like the temple right mm-hmm. like you're, you're like to think about like picture picture it this way like when you have a near-death experience or something and people would say like i was separated from my body and i could see myself mm-hmm. that's what i picture for lee ching yun in his meditation mm-hmm. where it's basically mm-hmm. almost like you step out of the physical form mm-hmm. and then you are performing maintenance on that physical form through meditation and then and then additionally with potions essentially like right your herbs and your special your special things that you have it's like tuning up a car it's like literally like you are doing these special little things or even if you think about yeah like the the prana and the life force and your body is a battery that you can constantly recharge right yeah if you can constantly recharge it then maybe you could live to be well over the standard age because if you can keep recharging though that same that's yeah Mm. you know what's interesting too that I just kind of thought about. You know how like Lee, like he died in nineteen twenty seven, I believe, or nineteen thirty three. Uh, I can't remember th- one. Of, was or no, nineteen thirty three. Thirty three. Because he yeah. visited um, that general in twenty seven. In twenty seven. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think. Like you know, like China was going through a lot of changes. Like he lived. Like Lee lived through the Qing Dynasty in 19 what was it nineteen thirteen or eighteen or seventeen something like that. Within that um, decade, that was when China the dynastic period of China ended, it became a a republic. Right. For Lee, I feel like that might have been a really big sort of metaphysical change in his world. You know what I mean? A stressor. Well, that, and yeah, it's almost like it's, it's almost as if maybe his era sort of had come to a finish. Right. And that's when he passed away shortly thereafter. Maybe he's sitting up at the top of Snow Mountain though, watching us and... (laughs) doing his meditation and just being like if i was to throw one crazy theory into this though i mean unless you count them all as being crazy because the guy potentially lived to be 256 but the idea that maybe he wasn't entirely human that he was was nowadays seven feet tall is super average but back then it wasn't Maybe he came from a lineage of something he's that like was a like Chinese he's, Hercules. he's a giant of some kind or something, right? Yes. Like he's like, he has maybe some sort of, yeah, like, yeah, like almost like, a, yeah, a demigod, a demigod of some yeah. kind. Um, half god, know. half man. And not so much god in the sense like of that separation, god and man. Like, again, this is so hard to to work outside of these like frameworks oh, that I we're know. within, right? Just to think like we say the word demigod and it's automatically like, oh, well, he's being compared to Hercules. It's like, well, no, but. No, but in a certain regard that if you he was have somewhere if between Hercules had extreme strength this guy had extreme other abilities right. extreme longevity yeah <laughs> anyway this is so much fun to talk about like i i feel like i need to make some changes in my life to sort of reflect <laughs> lee's mentalities and and just time for a cleanse <laughs> as we drink beer we're drinking beer while we're recording it's a time. beer cleanse okay he drank rice wine we can drink beer hey you know what we made this beer we brewed it ourselves yes we did it's and it's 100 gluten-free and all grains there so you go i'm proud of it there you go <laughs> 
Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up, people. We want to hear what you think. Did Lee live to be 256 years old? Do you think it's more likely he beat out the uh, French lady uh, and was only like a buck 87? Mm-hmm. Or do you think... No, like, no, buck 97. Or sorry, buck 97. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very Canadian, eh? Buck 97. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you guys think about any of Reach this? Reach out to us. Uh, get at us on our socials. Uh, into the Portal 1 for our Twitter. Yep. Obviously, Into the Portal Podcast is our Insta. And come join the forum. Yes, on Facebook. Yes, we're going to have some really cool stuff. I actually came across some really interesting article that I want to post in the forum later today. Awesome. So look forward to that. It's Sweet. about really creepy stairs in the forest. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yes, abandoned stairs. Oh, yeah, and that was no given to you by uh, Mr. Eric. Mr. Fuentes. Eric. Yeah, shout out to you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, you guys, to this episode on eternal life. Mm -hmm. And uh, until next time. Hopefully, we survive long enough till next week. (laughs) (laughs) See you then. Network.com.